2: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. That is a deep cut if you uh,
0: listen to our yeah. first couple of seasons. I am actually a Liturgy Guy listener. I was listening to some uh, podcasts of the Liturgy Guys from episodes from a couple seasons ago, <laughs> and I wasn't completely mortified by some of them. <laughs> <was> pretty nice. <laughs> At least when Chris talks, it's like, oh, he's... You were only mostly mortified. He's smart, and I'm uh, not. Yeah. But Do you still but, listen
1: to these, Dennis, before they go out?
0: uh somebody has to yeah somebody has to so that's how it goes got to be the reviewer the editor so well if you're,
1: gonna, if you're going to if you're going to earn that uh, extra salary that uh, we
0: we signed yeah, you up for this year the this $0 time. salary that we get for this <laughs> but, hey, hey. Well,
2: i'll t- i'll tell you this by the way we this season you know i'm i'm 98% sure of this but this season will be the season in which we hit a million downloads. So I'm very excited about that. I'll keep you guys updated when I, when that does happen.
0: Yeah, we have to have a big old party. So if you're a listener, send this to your friends. Help us get to a million. It's like Telethon, you know, the PBS fundraiser thing. that You want to watch this old house, and they're like putting some big thermometer in the background. It's like, help us get to a million. So help us get to a million.
2: And you can all send us a million pennies. We'd be very grateful
0: for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm all right with that. Hey, you know, I set up a big tent here in the college for our revival. It's a revival tent. Oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> no, not really. I not know what a revival oh. is. Well, you're from the frozen north. Maybe you don't know. Down south, it's a kind of traditional Protestant thing to have a revival. Uh, and they set up a tent and they have a speaker come or a preacher come and all that. It's like to bring back to life, right? Revivify, re-bring to life. So... That's what we're here about, Chris. That's mm-hmm. what we're here for. And mm-hmm. thank God to you know the well, I mm-hmm. guess we can thank God for the people not knowing what the Eucharist is because it gives us a season seven. <laughs> 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 Do you remember what Father Martis used to say at the liturgical institute? Uh-huh. No, Father UCB every time I was upset about some liturgical experience, he would say, Keeps us in business. Keeps us in business. <laughs> Oh, that's true. That you that's know? very true. Yeah, if everybody knew everything about everything, every college in the world would close. So
1: <laughs> keeps
0: us in business. Today, <laughs> I say, Jesse and Chris, uh, you are yeah. you are a gift to me. Oh, uh, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. The most I could do. Yeah. You're a real gift. You're a real when, gift. What he's getting
1: that. at here, Jesse, is this uh, little document you have before you the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church it has these two principal parts. Uh, the
0: first is the gift of the Eucharist, and that's what we're going through now the gift that keeps on giving literally well that wasn't actually what i was getting at because the next section oh. is called the real the real presence that's why i was oh. saying your gift like yeah. christmas presents you know
1: well but it is this section on the real presence right so under this first part the gift there's the sacrifice of christ and mm-hmm. that's what we talked about that's what we introduced mm-hmm. last time this next one is the real presence of christ which as you probably know is is very closely associated with that other topic and the third Part of this gift section is the communion with Christ and the church. And then the document flips around and says, well, if this is the gift, how do you respond to a gift? Especially one as uh, immense as this.
0: But, you cross your arms and you read the bulletin. That's what uh, you do. Yes, Come yes, on. Yes, That's yes, what you do on Christmas morning. All right. Yeah. So.
1: All right. Real presents.
0: You're yes. against it. I am for it. And the word presence, man, you know, you know, my favorite line, Jesse or Chris, my favorite line from Eve Congar about presence. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? 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 The presence uh, of God is man uh, fully alive.
1: Holy and conveys (laughs) holiness. Is that it?
0: Yes. Holy and confers holiness. Uh, You knew that, Jesse. You just. I know,
2: but I liked my answer a lot
0: better. (laughs) Eve Congar, great Dominican theologian of the 20th century wrote this book called the mystery of the temple. And he's rediscovering the temple side of liturgy. Strangely, just like four years, five years before the temple side of liturgy drops out of the bottom of the church. And he says, the presence of God is holy and confers holiness. And so the presence of God is what the Israelites are always about. Mm. Where is God? There's the pillar of fire. Now we know where God is. There's pillar of cloud. Now Uh. we know where God is. There's the tabernacle of Moses. Now we know where God is. There's lightning and thunder. Now we know where God is. And we want to be where God is. All because right. he's he he makes Israel holy, it does. and so this completion of all this is Israelite stuff and Old Testament stuff is God wants to be everywhere and everything in everything, right? All in all, the New Testament says, so presence is really really important stuff. Right. Now I, I want set you to up. sit
1: you. Oh, I'm going to set you up. So just uh, <laughs> don't mute your microphone. So in this uh, in this section it begins at number eighteen. And it says, from the beginning, the churches believed and celebrated uh, the teaching of Jesus himself, that uh, essentially he is present to his church uh, in, a, in, a, in a particular way under the forms of bread and wine. And it mm-hmm. quotes uh, John uh, uh, John 6. And then there's a little quote there from Justin Martyr, who I think died in 155, and John Chrysostom is the probably 3rd, 4th century. But, Dennis, back to this temple business.
0: Yes, Chris. If
1: you can go even back behind, you know, the light, the words of Jesus and Justin Martyr and John Chrysostom. Um, I first learned about this from you, this thing about uh, the bread of the presence or the show bread in mm-hmm. the temple the that was bread. Yeah. okay. So tell us, um, yeah, I mean these bishops they only have so much space, so they couldn't go into all this, but let's start even about the this presence. Even back before Jesus says this in John 6. Tell us about the
0: show bread or bread of the presence or face bread in the temple well this even goes way back before the temple this goes back to the tabernacle of moses right exodus right so th- the famous thing there is you know that um moses has these visions on the mountain one of them is he gets the ten commandments the other is the vision of what the tabernacle of of um, moses should be like which is the big movable tent but it's basically like a temporary church and so the vision for how to worship comes from God, and one of the things that they're told to do is to make these twelve round loaves of bread, and they were big, you know, probably like a pita size. I don't know, I don't know if anybody really knows. Um, and they were brought into the holy of holies, which is the little room in the back where God's presence is holy and confers holiness, right? So they, the blood
1: were they made with of, incense mixed in? Like yeah, that?
0: some of the grain sacrifices had incense mixed in, and you actually mm-hmm. eat the incense, kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. Hopefully it's not poisonous or hallucinogenic <laughs> or something. <laughs> they actually think that the intensity of the incense in the Holy of Holies might have induced a kind of hallucinogenic experience for the, for the high priest. And, and it
2: gives it a real smoky flavor, you know.
0: Yeah, it nice. like it's like barbecue, you know, uh. liquid smoke. But the point yeah. is, these breads were made, they were kept on a golden table. In the large room of the temple, and then they were brought into the Holy of Holies, so along with other things, right? Blood was one, and we know the blood, right? Because the blood and bulls of goats is brought in, and then it's sprinkled on the people. The blood is brought into the holiness of God, it becomes the bearer of holiness, and then it's sprinkled on the people. And so there's that, remember that incident when the Passion of the Christ came out, and it said uh, they quoted the Jews saying, May his blood be on us, or upon us, or something. Uh-huh. And they had to take it out because they thought it was saying that the Jews were responsible for Christ's death. Um, But really what they were saying was, may the presence of God be upon us in this blood that's being this carrier. Mm. But these 12 loaves of bread were also uh, the same. They go in there. They're made holy because they're in this microwave of holiness. And then they're eaten by the priests on the Sabbath, right? So there's this temple fulfillment. uh, 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 There's a temple origin that's fulfilled in the Eucharist as well. And it was written in the face of God. That's why it was the show Bread or the face bread literally was brought uh, to the face of God.
1: This is great. Okay. So, did they, uh, but wasn't there another part? Did, did the priest take this bread after it's sort of soaked up the, the presence of God? Did maybe I'm getting this confused. Did they take it out and show it to the people or was there a pre- presenting it to the people or no?
0: Yeah, that's something I heard, I think, Brant Petrie say maybe at a talk. I don't have a footnote on this. So, if it's not Brant Petrie, and sorry if I'm getting it wrong, sorry. But that there was a, a rule that the Israelites had to go once a year, the Jews had to go once a year and look at the face of God. Kind of like how Muslims you know, have to go to Mecca once in their lifetime. But how could they look at the face of God? The Holy of Holies is 20 cubits by 20 cubits. It's basically a 40 by 40 foot square room. And you couldn't go in there anyway. Only the high priest could go in. Okay. And so this was one of the conundrum things that came up, which is, well, how do they solve this problem? And he found the record, non-biblical record, that they would bring the face bread out and hold it up and the uh, priest would say behold mm. your god to the crowds and the mm. people would respond my lord and my god right which is what we do mm. uh, often when the eucharist is wow. um that is amazing it, that and then mass.
1: the priest would eat it would eat the showbread
0: i assume so yeah cuz they yeah. couldn't just destroy it so wow. I, anyway presence and consume bread, so. Big deal. so when christ says my this is my body right this sort of this is my reality you know we say well how can bread be body but i think like flesh bread, sacrifices, grain, bears of God's presence, mm. holiness. that was sort of all in the soup of Jewish understanding. Mm. Um, and even though, you know John 6 has the people who famously walk away, how can he give us his flesh to to gnaw on? Um, I guess some people didn't get it, some some did. It's always been controversial. But the point is, God wants to be with us, and He wants to be with us in a way that's proper to us.
1: You know, that's I I find that immensely uh, interesting, (laughs) but I mean, really helpful too. Uh, You know, that why should you believe that this bread becomes the body of Jesus? And most of the time, with I suppose, you know, if I were pressed on that, I would say, well, because God told me it was. It really comes down to that. I mean if I told you guys you liturgy guys said hey this this piece of bread or this cracker or whatever is my body well you shouldn't believe me because I'm not god but when jesus says it he's god and you're like well okay but again if that, you know he didn't just show up 2000 years ago and say hey this is my body I said no there's all of these mm-hmm. types of uh, types i had all yeah. of these uh, these preparations that sort of uh, lend uh, credence uh, literally to to our belief in the real presence of christ so that the showbread fascinating and so that when jesus will say this in john 6 and elsewhere and how you know what, what this document will say it number 18 and 19 the church has always believed this and again they're justin you know second century to, on chrysostom from the earliest century saint Irenaeus. i mean they took jesus at his word i mean as you said dennis i mean some people walked away and did not believe but uh the church as, as, a, as a body certainly did
0: Yeah. And, you know, when we get to the Council of Trent, they were not pussyfooting around about their delicacy of their words. (laughs) They're like, we have always believed this. And if you don't, you are a miserable, wretched, heretic, (laughs) deserving of uprooting as a weed from the garden of God. We don't talk like that anymore. But that same idea that it was there from the beginning, right? The the Byzantines, other Christians uh, who are ancient enough believe that and the the departure from it is actually – or you know, kind of a modern invention in the in the Reformation, mm. which you have to believe a lot of crazy stuff to believe some of those things, right? That the church got it wrong for 1500 years until you know Calvin came along and finally interpreted Scripture right, mm. or whoever, right, or uh, Luther. So it's uh, sometimes harder to believe that than it might be to believe in the real presence. And then mm. you know you
2: have the discrepancy between. You know, as a church, trying to define what this is and trying to understand it, right? And then now we have that, but as a church, we're trying to get her people to understand understand what the church already believes mm-hmm. and teaches, which is kind of where we're at with this uh, Eucharistic revival. So,
1: yeah. Well, remember that uh, uh, when we did the the pew quiz or whatever. I mean, it wasn't just uh, people personally didn't believe this, even though the church does many or a majority of the people I think it was didn't even think the church believed that. So yeah, there's mm-hmm. all sorts, there's all sorts of confusion going on, but yeah, I mean, exactly. look at, look at number 20. So they asked this question, how can Jesus Christ be truly present in what still appears to be bread and wine? How is this possible?
0: The Epicles is
1: well, it, this, uh, I admit that, uh, I mean, I I've enjoyed reading this document and, you know, a lot of it's, uh, I don't want to say just, oh, I know that stuff already, and it's review stuff. But this in number 20, I, um, this is a very catechism of the Catholic Church, I mean, as you would expect, but uh, that they mentioned the epiclesis that I don't think would be the the first answer in a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, more recently traditional um, responses to that question. How do we believe this? Epiclesis. Now, I think the church has always held that it's the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way, how, how Jesus became uh, incarnate in the first place 2,000 years ago. They usually say, because
0: Jesus said so, right? He said it and he did it.
1: Yeah. And it, well, and this is the other part of that, The this, this anamnesis, the institution narrative. I mean, Jesus literally said this, uh, this is my body. Do this as an anamnesis of me as a commemoration. I mean, that's at least the Western tendency is to go back to the, what do they call it? The ipsissima verba, the exact words that Jesus used that when repeated, you know, becomes uh, efficacious. But this epiclesis part is, uh, um, at least for us Westerners, uh, maybe not so much today anymore, but uh, uh, is is a bit of an afterthought. But this is the first answer the church gives. is the epiclesis. It's by the power of
0: the spirit. Yeah. That this hey, who is that Le- liturgical institute student who was tall and had a beard and he was from? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Dark hair. <laughs> And he was from Texas and he loved celebrating the mass in Latin. Anyway, he wrote it. Some of his major important research was the idea of Christ took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and not just broke it, right? That there was this blessing mm. of it that is some kind of prayer that could, you know, I imagine be some kind of invocation of the Holy Spirit. But it's not said mm. there, right? But this blessing is a very important thing there. So, mm. oh, sorry, I can't remember his name. He's probably, well, we'll see if he's listening.
1: If you are that person we're talking about, please send a note to literature <laughs> wait, <guys. laughs> wait, are you
0: sure he's from Texas? Yeah, he's from Texas. And he looked kind of Eastern. Uh, he looked like a Byzantine priest.
1: Oh, it was uh, Father Mark. Um... Mark, yeah. Father Mark, yeah.
0: In any case, that was very, that whole research, line of research, that it wasn't just that the blessing was a very important part of this. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, bless us, O oh Lord, that was part of Christ's yeah. action we, there.
1: All right, but in this number 20, how does this become present? It's by Jesus' word. It's by the words of the word and by the epiclesis. What this uh, reminds me of is uh, I don't know if this is a, it might be a Saint uh, um, Ambrose thing. You know, it.
0: Malik, Mark Malik. Mark Malik, Malik. Malik. That's right. yeah, That's right. okay, wherever you are today.
2: Uh, he was from Denver, by the way. That's why I was confused.
0: Oh, he's a priest in Denver, but he grew up in Texas. Anyway, Uh, can we move on here? Nobody knows who he is anyway, so, okay. Anyway, he's actually in in an
1: oratory now. And Okay, anyway. Mm -hmm. So this (laughs) reminds me of this epiclesis and anamnesis. Is uh, Ambrose, I think it's Ambrose, says that, you know, listen, once you say that God can perform some outrageous, uh, almost unbelievable miracle, where do you draw the line? Okay, you can do that one, but you can't do that one. And what he's saying is, what's more difficult, to create something out of nothing or to change one thing into something else? In the power, in the realm of the impossible, which one is more impossible?
0: I'd say something out of nothing. Yeah. yeah.
1: But think about how God made something out of nothing by the word word, and by the calling down the, the, the ruah, the breath, the spirit that hovered over the waters. It's those two things that made something out of nothing. Now, Go to the Eucharist. What are the two things that make this change possible? The words and the breath of the Holy Spirit. The breath of the Holy Spirit. So I suppose if you're if you're comfortable believing that God created everything ex nihilo, then your obstacle into potential obstacle you may have into about believing in the real presence um, ought not to come from the power of God to do such a thing. But anyway some reflections there at
0: epiclesis and anamnesis, but yeah. What in the is the call. All right. The calling. Mm-hmm. What is the epi part calling upon. Upon, upon, yeah. upon upon? Yeah. So you're calling the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit makes things new, makes things better, makes things glorified. So, uh, Hey, works for me, but it doesn't look like stuff. doesn't look like flesh. again.
1: No, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so, so 21, they'll talk about, uh, the bodily eyes versus the eyes, Of faith, so this real presence, which I suppose in most summary form here, number twenty, is the that what is present under the appearances of bread and wine, or the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, Mm -hmm. even though the appearances still remain the same. And so it's not to your natural eyes that you see the body, blood, soul, and divinity, but through the eyes of faith, or through some sort of supernatural or sacramental vision that you come to see. The reality, which is body, blood, soul, and divinity of
0: Christ. I think this is where we need to do a little what remedial sacramental theology or remedial mm-hmm. whatever substance, accident. I remember mm-hmm. I first read this maybe when I was in high school. S- yeah, <laughs> sim-
2: symbol, all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never learned this, you know, in. 1970s ccd i'll tell you and then i found some old <laughs> you could make catechism. a pretty mean
1: burlap banner though couldn't you i
0: made an I, honest to god made a burlap banner with felt butterflies on it honestly felt. seriously i did <laughs> i did and it was awesome <laughs> it was on a little did. rod i hung into my sure. bedroom door yeah so the word they use is transubstantiation now there's lots of competing theories about even people who believe in the real presence transubstantiation is you know the the theory the church has held as her own but there have been other ones there's one called impanation right i think that luther was fond of for a while that it was still bread but nonetheless it became the bearer of uh christ's presence anyway and there were other kinds like of like is that the same right. thing or that different yeah that's slightly different that it was uh together with the substance but the yeah. substance didn't change and whatever so trans of but, course, but that was, which yeah. does, is kind of reasonable right right I mean I don't believe that yeah. don't want me to confuse that but
1: think about the incarnate Jesus you have two complete substances natures yeah two complete natures right so by if you if you were to 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 make that entirely analogous which I, nothing is entirely analogous right that's why it's analogies it's not exactly the same thing well you've got 100% bread alongside 100% Jesus right so it's not unreasonable to think that however it's not what the the church believes yeah but, new look in great taste right yeah. so yeah there's all
0: sorts of different and have been is not giving that any dignified response i'm not i'm not
2: even giving that so that should tell you
0: yeah so anyway yeah so transubstantiation what are we talking about here we have substance and accident and this is what aristotelian stuff right even before well, Thomas comes up with this, right? Doesn't he, or is it before him even? Yeah,
1: no, no. It's uh, Aristotle. Will talk about this in uh, uh, the categories about substance and accidents. Substance and accidents. There's one. These are the ten categories. the The one substance and the nine accidents that adhere in in a substance.
0: Right. So, substance is a thing that exists having its own proper nature. Right. So, mm-hmm. what it is. So, I remember someone explained this to me when I was young. Because my, my father, for some reason, loved wax museums. Whenever we go on a family vacation, we would go to some <laughs> Madame Tussauds thing, you know. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and they were these, you know, exact reproductions of people. They looked so photorealistic and you could stand next to whoever and have your picture taken with this wax effigy of Elvis or the Pope or whoever. And... Man, did it look like that person, but its substance, right? Its own mm. act of existing, is nature wow, was not good. a person. It was, it was wax, right? And then the accidents, you know, are these exterior, um, what do you say? Uh, exterior qualities, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a good definition for accidents there? Well, uh,
1: eventually they'll call them uh, appearances. Um, uh, yeah, so maybe appearances, But yeah, it's like uh, quantity, quality, uh, action. These are at least the ones that come out, some of them that come out of uh, Aristotle's uh, categories.
0: Yeah. So these Um, are two different features of the reality of a thing that exists. mm -hmm. One is kind of invisible. It could be potentially invisible, you know, and the other one is the visible part. And uh, we, sacraments are kind of like this, right? You have your res and your sacramentum, you have this reality, and then you have some expression there. Mm -hmm. So this kind of duality of existence seems to be running through lots of things.
1: But I mean, to kind of flip around that flap, that wax museum thing, which is really good. I mean, so the the outward appearances or species or accidents look like, you know, Pope John the 23rd or the president or whatever, John Wayne. But the substance is not.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And we could fool people and say I met the Pope, and we take pictures home from vacation, and you met yeah. the Pope. And,
1: and but you know, the she, opposite would be, you know, Dennis. I mean, you can get a haircut, you can get a sunburn, you can drop some pounds, you can change your sweater, you can podcast. Jesse can podcast from another location. In that case, the substance is always the same, even though all these appearances and externals are changing around. Yeah. And so these are kind of the yeah the categories of of thought that uh, are, are are helping the church to articulate the real
0: presence. But now this is my maybe, body, but it doesn't mm, look like my body. Mm, well, mm-hmm. is Jesus a liar? Yeah. Uh, but you on? know,
1: maybe one thing though that uh, that I guess I came across a little bit later is th- it, this is in uh, Paul VI's letter, which we should really read from 1965, mysterium fidei. He'll say that, see, because what's happening in Mysterium Fidei is people like uh, Skillabax and I suppose Roder and other things like that say, hey, you know, people don't think like Aristotle anymore. And people don't, remember, they're all trying to get away from St. Thomas and Thomism and things like that. We need different ways of talking about that. And one of the things that Paul VI says in that is that, listen, you know, the substance appearance thing, these are not strictly Aristotelian from aristotelian philosophy so like when you talk about well what is a substance you don't have to know aristotle to know what a substance is it's like well what is it it means what what makes it to be what it is you know what what's the substance of the liturgy guys podcast well it's, it's talk just about you, liturgy you know just Things like me.
2: just me yeah.
1: and then you guys. and and, uh, and even too you know even though aristotle will talk about accidents and i think thomas will too the church never does she always uses the terms appearance or species, not accidents, which is more properly Aristotelian. So even in her own, you know, language, she's relying in some ways on Aristotle. I mean, just like she is Plato and Saint Augustine, things like that. But it's not exactly the same uh, same type of thing. But
0: anyway, I did a little etymology on that. Substance comes from sub. To stand under, literally, is what it means. Stand yeah. under, so or stands behind, right? Stands behind the external reality. Mm-hmm. An accident is odd and cadere, which means to fall to, right? So, there's a reality that stands under, and then there's these accidents that fall yeah. in place, you know, in relation I, to that.
1: I've been using this uh, lately, Dennis. Um, is that you have substance and circumstance? You have that which stands under it, substance to make it mm-hmm. to be what it is. But then you have those. Circumstances oh, stand around, that, yeah. that stand around it, and they can change even when the substance
0: doesn't. Well, here's a question for both of you. Maybe we should save it for the question time. But you know, no, don't I know. Have, I have a lot of students who are very fiercely orthodox Catholic here, right? And so mm-hmm. they uh, they like to get they like to have their cherry picking of orthodoxy tests, and they say the Eucharist is literally the body and blood of Christ. The Eucharist is literally the body and blood of Christ. Hmm. What do you say to that? Is it literally the body and blood of Christ? I, I have an I answer the, that shocks them. No, I think the answer is yes. It's literally the body and blood of Christ? Uh, maybe it what is? it's not a strip of uh, flesh, right? So it can't be Literally the body and blood of Christ because mm. it depends how you define literally. Yeah. But
2: how, like how, yeah, how people say literally nowadays, then
0: yeah. Yeah. It's like literally not what I said, but okay. literal, people don't use the word literal to mean literal anymore. So, oh. well, go ahead. It's it's not called a literal presence, right? It's called the real presence. And maybe you're perhaps you remember father Charlie Meyer at Mundelein many years taught there for 50 years or 60 years. He wrote a, an article to solve the problem. He said it's real because it's – but it's sacramentally present. So it's not literal. It's it's real except it's always in the form of sacrament. And so when we say literal, it would be like we found the body of Christ somewhere and we cut a piece off of it and ate it. That would be the so literal So mean like
1: the, the physical? Hmm. What would you? Right. You mean literal, like physical,
2: that way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess part of it depends on how you define literal. But
2: yeah. I just I just looked it up.
0: So there's the mm-hmm.
2: two of them are the first one is taking words in their usual or most basic sense without metaphor or allegory. So the example is dreadful, in its literal sense, full of dread. The other one is representing the exact words of the original text.
0: Mm. So. Right. Mm. Right. So we're never the literal flesh of Christ as, you know, like say he hadn't ascended to the Father and we found his body in a tomb, right? And we ate a bit of it. That's not, that's literal. That's not really how it would go. It's real, which doesn't diminish the real presence in any way to say this, but it's in the form of sacrament. And sacraments by definition always have these two parts, right? And they're uh, mm. somewhat different. Chris, yeah. look, well, you look like you know. beg to differ a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I, I suppose it's all what the words mean. I mean, I I've never really used that the word literal. I think mm-hmm. you could say it's literally the body of Christ, but you wouldn't say it's physically the body of Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, we have to de- define yeah,
1: our terms. Yeah. But in any I mean, case, because when, when you eat when you eat the Eucharist, you are eating the body
0: of Christ as it exists right now. But right? in the form of sacrament, right? So it's always going yes. to look different and it's not going to have that earthly literalness, you know, one for one. But that doesn't mean it's not real. It's called the real presence cuz it's real. But it's
1: I mean let's go back to this. Let's say uh, let's say you had mass on holy Saturday. You know, like the apostles or a day priest now and they're going to say mass on holy Saturday. What would you be eating when you uh, ate that bread appearing thing?
0: It would be the real presence, but not the literal flesh,
1: right? Well, but you would you would be eating the flesh of Jesus as it was at that moment lying in the tomb. That's at least the 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 nature uh, of the real of the reality of Christ's body. But that's why i don't have mass on Holy Saturday.
0: Yeah,
2: but isn't isn't all of this timeless? Right? Isn't all of this timeless?
0: it is now it's taken up
1: into to eternity
0: right just like you could say the the mass is not the literal last supper right it's the sacramental representation it's the participation in the completion whatever it's not literal anyway this is the kind of thing we could uh, talk about for a long time
1: well and, and we will but i mean but you know however these are right how do you how do you use finite words to describe infinite and eternal realities but, you know, even in this uh, this Paul VI letter in Mysterium Fide, he talks about a law of language, and you, there is, the church has developed a lexicon, even though it falls short, this is how what, how she speaks about these things. But I think, you know, at least leaving this point for today, which we'll come back to, is, yeah, the, the church, you're right, it doesn't speak of the literal presence or the physical presence. She speaks of the sacramental presence, the real mm-hmm. presence, the substantial presence, the true presence. And things like that. So, yeah, coming to understand and appreciate what those mean is, you know, part of our project here over the next, uh, certainly the next year, probably beyond. But the mode of Christ's presence is substantial and real.
2: Well, let me me ask this, like, in in a practical sense, you you know, these conversations are incredibly meaningful and important to me from an intellectual standpoint. Right, And I go to mass, and, and these conversations kind of help. It, uh, they make an impact on my perception and my active participation. But let's take my wife Kim. Right, you know she is she knows and understands this for, to a certain degree. But these conversations, you know the the particulars, don't affect her participation in mass the way like mm-hmm. some people might want to really dive into the words and all of that type of stuff. So, what what is the merit of you know, really dissecting this to, like, the nth degree, um, if if uh, we can still actively participate, you know, in having the, the core principles down.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, uh, yeah, you don't have to pour through the Summa and other things to um, to come to a fundamental understanding and love and transforming encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. Um. But I think the to deepen your understanding, I think, would at the same time deepen your love and deepen how you respond to that. You know, so you know, the the more you didn't love your wife before you met her. It was all the, the love that you have uh, was all contingent
2: upon. We dated online for three years <laughs>
1: before we <laughs> Yeah, they didn't even have computers when I was dating, Jess. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So the more you can love, the more. Excuse now me. Now you're dating you yourself, know, by the way. Uh, 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 the more you uh, know, the the deeper can see. The more you love your your wife and your children, the 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 deeper you can fall in love with them, and to be at service to them. And I think the Eucharist is you know, something like that too. Um, you know, if you c- cannot define the difference between um transubstantiation and transignification and transfinalization your chances for heaven are not diminished really i think uh, well
2: that's what i was getting at i think i mean i I was kind of setting you up you know that but i I like that's a good response
0: but people make the point that we have an intelligible religion right because it's been made by an intelligent god so you can mind the depths of the meaning of things. It's is sort of like golf, you know? People are really into golf, talk about golf, and if you're not a golfer, boy, is it the most boring thing? To listen to? Every now and then I sit with James McCreary and talk architecture, and the other people in the room are just like, shut up already you know (laughs) they're like
2: we're on the seventh hole can you swing and hit the ball
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) talk about the the dimples in the wind and all this stuff who cares right you could just play golf or watch golf or whatever chris and i were starting a
2: podcast called dimples in the wind we'll have you we'll have you as a guest yeah
0: wasn't that a song by uh, elton john dimples 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 in in the wind the wind oh wow But here's the thing, you know, transubstantiation, there's a logic to it that's pretty darn tight, right? Christ is the substance of this Eucharist, right? Even if he doesn't have the appearance of the Eucharist, you don't have to, as you famously told me, Chris, you don't have to make the host in the shape of a little guy, long hair and a beard and painted, you know, to look like a person. That would be making the accidents look like Christ, and it's really the substance uh, that exists. And so this is the substance, this is the presence par excellence. This sometimes confuses people, right? Because as I was preparing, I was reading some of the decrees from the Council of Trent and I'm like, man – they just list out all the litmus tests we have for rad trads today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It took us like 500 years <laughs> to get Trent down as points of the faith. And now they've fallen apart too. So what do we get? We get the 20th century telling us, well, Christ is also present in the minister and in the gathered assembly and in the gospels. And like, oh, well, what does that mean? The Eucharist is just another one of those. But they make the point that par excellence, because it is substantial, like Christ's presence is actually there. Whole and entire Mm -hmm. in the substance, and not just in uh, you know the word or
1: yeah. I mean, it's standing on something, right? Or there's something standing beneath it that when you walk away from it, it remains. But when those two or three who are gathered in Christ's name disperse, well, there's there's no they're there. There's no presence there when when the when the action of the minister is done. Well, it's done when the Mm -hmm. words not being uh, 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 proclaimed it's done. But when the celebration of the Eucharist is over, it's still there. And that's what makes it different. They're all real, but this one is the most excellent um, of all those realities because it's substantial and abiding. It lasts even when those others don't.
0: So... Yep, yep, yep. And so it can receive worship. I've said this before, but it just always amazes me when that book on benediction and the rites and worship of the Eucharist outside of mass, Mm -hmm. it's it's scandalous at first, you know, worship Mm -hmm. of the Eucharist, the word Latria, you know, the worship due to God alone in, you know, Eucharistic uh, adoration and benediction and exposition and so on. But that's what, if you believe it, that's the logical thing, right? The presence Mm -hmm. of God is here. And it would have been in the temple and the bread. Uh, and now we have it in this fuller way. Good. We, yeah, so just... that's that second section under um, the
1: gift of the Eucharist. The sacrifice of Christ being present and the body, blood, soul, and divinity. The real presence of Christ substantially and abidingly present. Uh, not only during this celebration, but outside of it as well.
2: Hmm. All right, Dennis. Call it a, call it a day. Yeah, Jesse. We're not calling it a day. We got do we have an answer? Oh, today. yeah. Do we have an answer? Speaking of, speaking of gifts, we have the gift of a question that <laughs> likely Chris will answer and Dennis will pretend like he's answering.
0: I'll throw in a <laughs> sentence or two to just not feel like an idiot, but Chris will know all the stuff.
2: Well, hopefully it's an architecture question.
0: Then, then Chris will really know the
2: answer. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is mine, brother. All right. Let's do it. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning.
2: All right, this question this week comes from Alex Coverdale. Alex says, uh, I have a question regarding proper clothing for acolytes and servers. While the ALB is listed, many adults use a cassock and surplus instead. Mm-hmm. This is also acceptable. And of if- is this also acceptable? And if so, are there any restrictions? Uh, and then he says mm. his pastor told him that it was that the uh, and alb was reserved for seminarians. So mm. uh, let's see you?
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, uh, yeah it, what in germ 339, this is what it says. in the dioceses of the United States, acolytes, altar servers, readers, and other lay ministers may wear the alb or other appropriate and dignified clothing. Now, what this paragraph in the germ had said before the third edition of the Roman Missal was they may wear the alb, comma, or other vesture, comma, or other appropriate and dignified clothing. So what they've taken out is other vesture. I don't know if there's something to be read into that or not, but I think what what it means here is the alb is the the vestment, common to all the baptized. So when a little baby gets baptized, they put an alb on her right after the baptism even though it might might not know that that's essentially what it is this little white garment is is an alb and so uh any minister can wear the alb i think we've talked about this before though lots of people still associate the alb with clerical garb and so if you know uh, my sister walked out in an alb or something like that like ah what is she doing what is she doing uh but that's the 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 vesture for the baptized now so the question, though, is: Well, what constitutes other appropriate and dignified clothing? Could you classify a cassock under that uh,
2: rubric, or not? Or a tuxedo, possibly,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> or a Green Bay Packers jersey? Uh, not this season, maybe. Not this season. No, All right.
1: No. Um. So I, my opinion is, you know, reading it with a long view of the tradition is that, yeah, I, I think you could. But I think what's different from the alb and a cassock is, I, I the cassock is in fact a clerical garment. Yes, that you know. So when when uh, as Alex's pastor said, it's reserved to seminarians. I think I would say it's reserved to to at least those in formation or those potentially who could be uh, uh, clerics someday. So maybe altar boys wouldn't. It wouldn't be entirely out of keeping with altar boys, but I don't think altar girls. Uh there would be a little incongruous there for or for women or girls to wear uh what about, a cassock.
2: What about uh, for instituted acolytes?
1: Well, that's the paragraph. Is it uh could you justify it as other appropriate or dignified clothing?
0: Yeah, well, we I can think have for, female instituted acolytes now, right? So this uh, is true.
1: This yeah. is true. Uh but I traditionally I think uh instituted acolyte would wear could wear a cassock, would wear a cassock. So Anyway, whatever the answer is, it lies in kind of looking at the I think the theology of orders and the history and the tradition of uh, of uh, the ministries and the vesture that
0: they wore. So right before Vatican II, you would have people sit in choir sometimes, and they had to be in choir dress, which didn't mean you know the a choir gown. It meant and it didn't mean choir, singing like, either. It didn't mean right. You know, it the, was like the monastic choir or the the sac the sac. Um, the sanctuary, fundamentally, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. seminarians would be in cassock and surplus as they were wearing the priestly garb. That's where they were planning. And altar boys, for the same reason, they were kind of doing this priestly action. And so I think for right reason, you have to say, okay, well, the alb is kind of this universal um, garment for ministerial functions, whereas cassock and surplus is very particular to either priest, uh, priestly ordination or someone who's on the way. So you want to be careful about who wears it and how, the, mm. how they use it.
2: Yeah. Okay, Alex, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God, God bless. bless. Another episode of Liturgy
1: Guys has mercifully come to an end.
2: Our hosts are Chris Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis Big McNamara, and Jesse yoyo
0: Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy, and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing.
2: Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L.
1: Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflect. Our enforcer of choral discipline
0: is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin.
2: And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Schreibam and Howe.
0: And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the, the Liturgy, Liturgy Guys.